Bickley and Marotta Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Bickley Blast. The Valley is a big event, starstruck, celebrity-obsessed region where all that matters is the name on the back of the jersey. And boy, have we had some weird relationships in our history with star athletes. We got the very best from Kurt Warner, Randy Johnson, and Steve Nash. We got gas fumes from Shaq, Emmett Smith, and Brett Hull. We've enjoyed Renaissance festivals from Luis Gonzalez, Chris Paul, and J.J. Watt, and we've had issues with Jason Kidd, Wayne Gretzky, and Joey Porter. And drumroll, please, because the Kevin Durant era is officially underway in Phoenix. The future Hall of Famer is 34 years old. He's under contract for another three years after this one, which is good news, although in today's NBA, those numbers really don't mean much. His work ethic is beyond reproach, but his body is starting to break down a player who has suffered a significant lower body injury in each of his past four seasons. He can be moody, combative, thin-skinned. His personality isn't always a plus, but he's also authentic, polarizing, and positively devastating on a basketball court. So let's all brace and let's all welcome the newest superstar to the Valley, and let's hope he comes in snarling and hungry just like the previous big unit once did. Today's Bickley Blast brought to you by my great friends at Chapman BMW. You've got two great locations. You can find them online at ChapmanBMW.com. You know what, D, I just haven't tried to overthink that and, you know, write it down. Like, what's he, you know, I've just been, all the guys who've come in, we've just tried to create an environment for them to feel welcome. It's, it's a shock when you get traded. It's a huge change to your life. I know everybody tends to think because these guys make the money that they make, it's no big deal. But you have to uproot your family when you have to, you know, leave stuff behind. You get traded on the fly. That's a that's a different situation. Um, in most locations, people know. <laughs> you know what I mean? So we just try to make it as seamless as we can for them to come into the gym and feel comfortable. And we hope they feel that way. And then we have people in the organization that can onboard them into a, a living situation and help them get the cable turned on and all that type of stuff and make sure they have internet, you know. So I think it's, it is stressful, but what we try to do is create an environment here where they can come in and, and decompress and just... That's Monty Williams on uh, the... Early impressions of Kevin Durant on his new team, yeah. the acclimation process, and let's it face it, kind of that sounds just kind of. Oh, go ahead, go. I don't mean to interrupt. <laughs> no, no, go no, ahead. go ahead. I, it no, was, I was an interesting say, quote. All of, all of that just sounded very weird to me. It sounded very forced because this is not new to Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant has done this before. He's mm-hmm. gone to new markets. Not, no, not during the season. Though. Okay. Mid-season right. trades I, I are different. I don't think Kevin Durant is tripping about getting his cable turned on, to be honest with you. And, and I also think that this is also another thing here. These are not. This is not a homegrown, folksy, aw shucks, um, let's roll out Montyisms kind of basketball team anymore. These are. This is a super team. These are three all-stars together on a basketball court at one time, which is about the closest definition you're going to get to a super team. Right? Especially when you consider that the new piece yeah. of, of this this trio happens to be one of the greatest players that's ever time. played yeah. of all time. Yeah. So so listen. So there's there's nothing homegrown or 
folksy or aw shucks about this basketball team anywhere. This is full-on super team coming at you in the NBA. I was so excited watching Kevin Durant work out yesterday um, in Suns gear because it really kind of crystallized. Wow. This is actually happening. <laughs> we didn't dream this last week. This wasn't just, you know, uh, you know, something that Aaron Rodgers might invent while sitting in the darkness for four days. Well, yeah, and, and to your earlier point, Kevin Durant's not coming in completely inexperienced with Monty Williams. They did cross over for mm-hmm. a year in Oklahoma City in 2015-2016, which was a really good year for the Thunder, by the way. Uh, they almost toppled the Golden State Warriors that year. Uh, and then he went to Golden State the next year. So right. it, it's not completely foreign. You know, a lot of these new pieces, there is some experience there. Mark Bryant was an assistant coach for, for the Thunder for a long time, so there's crossover there. Chris Paul played with Darius Baisley. I mean, T.J. Warren's coming back to a situation where he knows some of his teammates. He played with DeAndre Ayton. He played with Devin Booker. Mm-hmm. Isn't that amazing? Those are the only guys left, <laughs> basically, from when he was here the well, first time. And again, this is this is going to be, this is going to take a little getting used to because it isn't just Kevin Durant it's Darius Baisley it's the return of TJ Warren it's it's Terrence Ross when he gets here which nothing's been made official on that that's yet. true are you starting to get a little worried I'd like to have him yeah so would I I thought I thought he was uh I yeah he's uh he'd be a useful piece yeah um, so this is going to be a lot of newness for the Phoenix Suns. You have to look at this as like a college basketball team. Just kind of, there's about 20 plus games, right? <laughs> it, it, this is just going to be the darndest thing to kind of hit reset. And like I said, Friday night looks a week from Friday after the All-Star game. Yes, against right. Oklahoma City. Right. That looks like what will be the debut of Kevin Durant. His opening press availability is going to be Thursday afternoon, mm-hmm. which is going to be very interesting. That's going to be the Hello Phoenix kind of moment for Kevin Durant. And so off we go. This is you can't understate how big this or you can't overstate how big this is. Yeah, but you, I mean, the thing that I keep coming back to is that 22 game sample. How many of those 22 games, when you have a player of Kevin Durant's stature and ability and profile, when you're coming off an injury that's kept you out for six weeks, it's not like you come back and you're starting to play 35 minutes a game right away. The trend in the NBA is injury management. So then you start to subtract some games from that 22, uh, which again, mm-hmm. in terms of wins and losses, that's not what I'm concerned about. Mm-hmm. I'm more concerned about players falling into their roles. And if you don't have all of those potential players uh, available to you, that process can be prolonged a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then you factor in, look, DeAndre Ayton has missed time this year. Devin Booker's missed time this year. Chris Paul's missed time this year. T.J. Warren is coming back from a very serious injury that kept him off the floor for nearly two full years. So... The uh, the injury factor is it has to be considered with this team because this this might be I mean if this team is able to stay healthy you know one through four one through six the rest of the way that would be a minor miracle considering how things have gone this year for for the individuals involved okay yeah I I, I guess yeah I I think it would be nice if they get some 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 respite. That way, mm-hmm. I mean, if I, I would sign up for, you know, just guarantee me the health of the point guard, I, I'll take my chances with everybody else. Yeah, 
That that's probably a good point. Uh, now, in terms of bench players coming, oh, go ahead, Becca. No, I was going to say I don't want to. I don't want to start. I mean, we're welcoming Kevin Durant. I don't want to start crying about injuries that we've. I, the injuries have had a huge deal up to this point. There's no doubt Absolutely. about that. No doubt about that. And the campaign thing is significant. I, I I do believe that campaign has to be a functioning part of this team. And Monty Williams offered an update on he and both uh, both he and Landry Shamit yesterday. Uh, Landry is probably still a ways away campaign is progressing. Uh, he's doing a, a lot more on the floor. He had a really good workout before um, practice today. I don't foresee him coming back before the All-Star break, but he is further along than I thought he was going to be at this point. He's, he's um, in that ramp-up mode, but I wouldn't say ramp-up to play. He's just ramping up his condition. Yeah, and if it's after the All-Star break, so be it. And you can plug him into that 22-game sample, too. But, you know, it, it, it appears mm-hmm. that the Suns are not going to be involved with a, a backup point guard in the buyout market. If the Terrence Ross thing happens, he's uh, he's a wing player, not a point guard. So, um, campaign, I agree with you. Campaign is very important mm-hmm. to what they're going to do the rest of the way. Yeah, yeah, I think so as well. Um, but, again, I, I think... Getting getting just some game action under their belts. They are sitting in a very good spot in the Western Conference. The the up and down nature of every team around them has obviously been a benefit. So while the Suns have dealt with their own injuries, other teams have dealt with their own stuff too. Mm-hmm. But you can tell that by the standings. Yes, if absolutely. The, if if you were to sit here and say the Suns, uh, whoa, oh woe is the Suns. They've had to deal with so much up till now. I'd buy that if they were like in tenth place in the West. You know where they are today? They're like a game out of third. They're in fourth place right yeah. now. Yeah, they're like a, so. I mean, they're in great. They're in great shape for what they've been through, mm-hmm. which tells you that other teams around them have also had their str- struggles on some level. So it, again, I am. I am tremendously excited at not only what this is going to look like, what it's going to sound like. Is it going to live up to expectations? As we have said many times before, super teams are a little dicey. They, the, the, you, you better hope the chemistry is just right. Yeah, uh, and they cannot leapfrog Sacramento with a win over them tonight. But if they do beat Sacramento, they'll have the same number of wins. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and Sacramento is the third seed. Crazy which stuff. Is, which is ridiculous when you think about it. Right. Sacramento's been a really good story. but Yeah, they're not I, a third I, seed. Do you consider them a viable threat in the West? No. After I don't. What is it, 16, 17 I years without a playoff yeah, appearance? Yeah. That, we, we thought we had a drought here. Goodness gracious. <laughs> 17 years in the NBA. Mm-hmm. That is an eon. Uh, you can text your thoughts to the FanDuel text line at 620-620 right now. Coming up next, they say it's down to two candidates, but can we expect maybe another name out of the blue to be thrown into this Cardinals coaching mix? We'll consider all the options straight ahead. It's Bickley and Murata mornings here on this Tuesday, Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Bickley and Murata mornings. Absolutely. I mean, there's no question about that. You know, going into the year, a big question was how would Reddick be used? How much would he drop back? How much would he rush? And I believe, I mean, not including the playoff games, he dropped back into coverage a fewest amount of times in his career. So there's no question that uh, that Gannon had a big thing to do, had a big part with that. Now, the Eagles have an extremely talented defense, right? So yeah, that certainly helped out too. But yeah, I mean, I definitely think Gannon played a role in the year that Reddick had. It's Elliot Shore Parks, who uh, appeared on Burns and Gambo yesterday. 
yesterday here on Arizona Sports. He covers the Philadelphia Eagles, talking about the impact that Jonathan Gannon, the defensive coordinator of the Eagles, uh, had on Hassan Reddick, the former Cardinal, who's uh, the runner-up for the Defensive Player of the Year award. Uh, Jonathan Gannon, very much in the mix to be the next head coach of the Arizona Cardinals. In case you're just joining us, yeah. the Cardinals are the last team standing with a job opening. The Indianapolis Colts, after conducting, I don't know, 18 dozen interviews uh, of different candidates, they have settled on Shane Steichen, the offensive coordinator of the Eagles, to take over. Uh, for Frank Reich slash Jeff Saturday. So now it's it's the Cardinals. All yeah. eyes are on them Listen, on where they're going to go. So we, we just interviewed uh, uh, Dave Spadaro, who works for the Eagles, and he gave a very, very rosy picture of Jonathan Gannon. I'm here to tell you. Very I, rosy. I just got off. A me- he is getting destroyed by Eagles fans in Philadelphia. So it's Jonathan ta- Gannon is. Jonathan Gannon, not yeah. Dave Spadaro. Well, Dave Spadaro probably would, if he tried to roll out the take he rolled out to us, He'd be getting killed in Philadelphia. Yeah, I, Sal Palantonio energy I, in that. I wasn't sure if we were talking to an Eagles insider or Jonathan Gannon's agent, but <laughs> we were we were talking to an employee of the Philadelphia Eagles. Yes, yeah, is true. what we were doing. True, and 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 with that comes a certain set of of. Yeah, conditions. But I if know, you will. I know for a fact, and you're right. Jonathan Gannon is getting skewered by Eagles skewered. fans after skewered. that Super Bowl performance, and he he wasn't exact. Like through the course of the season, there was a lot of criticism about Jonathan Gannon to the point where I brought this up when we talked to John Marks last week from WIP Radio. Their morning show, Angelo Cataldi, is on his way out. Mm-hmm. It was his last his last year, and it's the last week on the air. Was last week, uh, but. Nick Sirianni went on that show to take umbrage with the fact that Angelo Cataldi, one of the talk show hosts, was ripping into Jonathan Gannon during the course of the whole season. So it's not out of the – it's not un – what's the word? Unprecedented. Unprecedented that you know Philadelphia fans are, are killing this guy even though they had a great season and they made it to the Super Bowl. And, and again, it's I, – I think where I want to be clear about this is the two plays the Chiefs popped in the second half that both went for touchdowns, both of those plays happened within the 10-yard line and both times receivers were wide open. There wasn't a defensive player within 15 feet of the receiver. That is a, almost a felonious offense offense by NFL standards. Um, and so that's that in and of itself to me is very, very bad. That an opposing offense can look at you st- schematically and go, we got him. To find out that Jacksonville did the same thing with the same play to the same defense earlier and that never got fixed and got exposed in a Super Bowl, you want to talk about a deal breaker? Sounds like it to me. That's what it feels like to me. If you're a defensive coordinator and your defense gets torched for touchdowns in which you don't have a defender within 15 yards of the guy, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That that's bad. That is not that's not elite level coaching well, in my opinion. And people pointing at Kansas City's offensive success in the second half. They had four possessions. They scored on all four of them, um, including the, the last field goal on the last drive. Um, and Look, that's okay. It's Patrick Mahomes. And, I get yes, that. That's I get, okay. I get what Dave Spadaro said, too, and that is, hey, if you're going to judge the whole season on two plays, that's probably not fair. I get that, too. It's just a very non-Philly 
Philly-like take. Very much so. Yes. But, but but it, you know what it was? It was a Philly-like take to combat all the vitriol that 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 defensive coordinator is feeling Be- from the outside. Because there's, I mean, there's a lot of upset Eagles fans right now. I get it. They were oh, on yeah. the doorstep of winning a Super Bowl again. Uh, they had a magical season, and I think there's two groups of them right now. I think there's groups that are mad, a group that's mad at the officials for calling the holding call on, on Bradbury at the end of the game. And if they're not in that group, the other group is they're ripping Jonathan Gannon right and now. You, and you're forgetting the biggest reason why they're all out of their minds right now, because they're Philly fans. Yes. Yeah. It's- you were there <laughs> when they introduced the Hall of Fame class, Bick. Yeah. And there was a couple members of the yeah. Dallas Cowboys. Uh-huh. They booed Dak Prescott getting his Man of the Year award. They did. It's like, wow, this guy's a great humanitarian, but you know what? You still suck and we yeah, hate but you. But you're a cowboy. We hate you. Yes. Boo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's listen, and so it it's it, one of the weird vibes out of that Super Bowl that I could not miss was that there wasn't really it, it's like their fan bases were hungry, but they weren't ravenous. I I felt the same way. I w- I mean, I was in a group, and I, I think the the stadium was pretty mixed through, it throughout. Was. It, it wasn't was. there wasn't patch dominant patches either way. But I, I was sitting among Eagles fans. I was sitting among uh, Kansas City Chiefs fans. And the Chiefs fans around me, like they they won the Super Bowl on a on a field goal in the last ten seconds, and it was a very muted celebration. Yeah, yeah, you're without without question. Yeah, and and it's because they've been they've they've had all of this for the last few years, ever since Patrick Mahomes rolled into town. Uh, the Eagles just won a forever Super Bowl, a Super Bowl with Nick Foles that was so entertaining and so unexpected. You win on a trick play against Bill Belichick, and it's like, okay, that's going to last us for about 150 years. And so neither fan base was all that ravenous for the title. They all were kind of sated. And and so there were just a lot of there's a lot of weird elements to that game. I I almost fell over when I read Seth Wickersham call it the greatest Super Bowl ever. I can guarantee you it most assuredly was not that. It was like I said yesterday, and I'll stand by this. It was the third best Super Bowl played in that stadium. That's you gave a line. perfect comparison to the Panthers Patriots Super Bowl. Yeah, where the I think that one was won on a field goal, right? It was. Yes. And, but nobody remembers that as a classic Super Bowl, even it, though it was close. I was at that game. The Panthers Patriots Super Bowl was weird. Because for the first quarter, there was no scoring. The second half, I think the two teams combined for like 28 points. So it went from nothing to six, zero to 60 like that. But, and then it just stayed back and forth through the second half. Then somebody kicks a game-winning field goal. You're like, wow, what an entertaining game that was. Was that the Super Bowl in Houston? It was. So it can't be a great classic Super Bowl if it's a game that's most known for... Uh, somebody's boob popping out at Whoa. halftime. <laughs> I disagree. That's right. That's right. No, he's right. That's the most famous thing of the Super Bowl. It was. Yeah. It was. It was a good game. It was a good game. It was. It, it might have even been better than good. The, you but- know, the other experience I had, it had been quite some time, admittedly, since I had been at an NFL football game as a fan. And again, no dog in the fight. I picked the Eagles to win. I was wrong. Uh, whatever. I wasn't rooting for one team or the other. Just wanted a good game. But to hear fans, especially at the beginning of the game, I'm talking about Chiefs fans getting upset that Kenneth Gainwell's apparent first touchdown was called back. <laughs> fans of teams in jerseys and hats and jackets rooting more for their own betting interests. 
Welcome to sports. And oh my, it was so weird. It's all sports has all been commodified now. It's all about what can this team do for me? What? How can I get over? What kind of coin can I win on this sports team of mine? I, I wasn't. I wasn't prepared. For I that. agree. I saw some of they're like, oh, but now it's ruined. <laughs> I had astronomical I had odds right. on that. Yeah, <laughs> right. And for the people who cashed the the bet on tails being the winning coin toss, what's wrong with you? <laughs> hey, they got a fifty fifty shot to get the most right brutal year. one to me is the national anthem. The length of the national because what if you're like betting on it and you do the under when that bastard starts hitting that last note <laughs> you're like and he just holds it are you and like you're like stopwatch stop, waiting stop. for a contestant to call yes. him? are you like yeah and he just like and he just keeps uh, going and going and going and you're like oh and the time stop. You don't need. Not everybody you, needs to be like Christina that, Aguilera. Issues, Farid. That can be. Do so, we need to get you some help? That particular bet has never made sense for me because that can be compromised so easily. Oh I yeah. Go through rehearsals. Oh yeah. Well, that's it. That's how they get the number. Is they judge it based on rehearsals and stuff. Well, it was one minute and fifty nine seconds. Is that right? Yeah. He hit. He started the last note at one fifty three, <laughs> and he went to like two o two or two o three. <laughs> Jared, it sounds That's like you so might have funny. had a wager on that particular. Uh, oh, you know, did you wager properly on that one, Jared? Oh, a handshake bet. You know, just <laughs> yeah. good fun. Let's do it for fun. I'm betting on the length of the national anthem. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Uh, I want to remind you, Innings Festival is back. The two-day music festival featuring Green Day, Eddie Vedder, Weezer, The Offspring, so many more returns to Tempe Beach Park February 25th and 26th. Head to the contest page at ArizonaSports.com for complete details and your chance to win tickets. Coming up next, our weekly talk with the Coyotes' chief hockey development officer, the one and only Shane Doan, next. It's Bickley and Murata mornings here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Arizona Sports. The local sports leader. Doan scores on the rebound! Shane Doan. Shane Doan got a piece of it. I think this goal is going to go to the captain. Captain Coyote. Shane Doan sends a one-hopper on that. He scores! The captain. Coyote's legend Shane Doan. Up early to talk Coyote's hockey with Bickley and Murata. Shot by Shane Doan. He scores! Yep, Shane Doan joins us right now on the Arizona Sports Line. Before we get started today, Shane, a heartfelt apology from both Dan and myself that uh, you had to sit on hold and listen to that abomination of a sports update from Jared. <laughs> what are you talking about? I didn't even notice you did a great job, Jared. Yeah. No, that wasn't great. <laughs> oh, Jared, I love it. Uh, hey, good win last night for the Coyotes in Nashville 4 2. I'm uh, looking at recent uh, results. 11 points in the last eight games, and I know things have been cyclical because there's been a lot of dry spells for this particular team, but you know they're in one of those good spells right now, Shane. Yeah, I mean, they do not quit. As a group, they don't quit, and it's uh, I think it's a testament to the coaching staff and to the guys and the fact that they believe that no matter what the situation is and what is kind of being said about them, they find ways to win games, and um, I think it's... Uh, it's just it's it's fun to watch. 
And I made the announcement yesterday. Andre Turney uh, backed it up that uh, Jacob Chikrin's going to be off the ice uh, while some trade things are worked out. It's obviously not an ideal situation for the team. but uh, And I'm not saying anything's been imminent, but it's been talked about for so yeah. long. How difficult, this is no surprise. Yeah, how difficult is it for, for a team to navigate through something like this in your mind? Yeah, I, I, without a doubt, it's been a, a the situation isn't <laughs> anywhere close to what you'd want. And then you understand on both Chick and on the team side that they want to kind of figure out a way to get this done. And um, he's been great for us this year. You look at what he's done since he's came back. He's done everything that uh, that you could hope for. And uh, um, hopefully that it's a unique situation and hopefully it can get resolved as quickly as possible. And um, he's excited uh, to play hockey. I know he wants to play. And uh, at the same time, we as a group, as an organization, uh, the management, they made a decision. And so that's, <laughs> it's one of those things in, in, in hockey that you don't and in sports in general but as a player you don't really think about until you're in those situations and it's it's the business side of the game, and when it happens, it's always uh, it's always difficult. Well, let me ask you this. Theoretically, I, I'm curious, what is the appropriate reaction inside the dressing room and, and maybe even in the Valley about this? Because when, when you look at the short-term future and what's ahead of the team in terms of playing at ASU and all that, um, I, I think it's somewhat appropriate for a player who wants to win to say, you know what, I, I'd like to be elsewhere. Is it? Do you find it to be something where where players should be loyal throughout this or should there be some sort of empathy for guys who who might not want to be part of this short-term scenario um i i think both i think that yeah we we'd love all of our guys to 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 turn into great players and stick around and yet that's just not the way it works i mean you have to understand the situation and and you're, it's asking a lot of players to to do what we're kind of going through and to go through that. And in some situations, it doesn't line up with with them, and in other situations, it does. And it really, it's it's personal, and it goes through a whole ton of things that are going on away from the game, away from the rink. And you have to understand that the guys have lives too. Like it's not like they're just hockey players; they have lives and stuff going on. And 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 I think that's a big part of it. You have to see the human element side of it it's not fun it's it's but that's like the business side like as a player you have to see the business side of it and that's a as an organization, at times you have to see the human side of it and understand it. Yep, Shane Doan, Coyotes Chief Hockey Development Officer, our guest every Tuesday here on Bickley and Murata Mornings. Uh, Bick and I were talking about it. We both got a chance to go to the Super Bowl uh, on Sunday and, and witness uh, the, the splendor that is the Philadelphia sports fan, and they're booing Cowboys for getting into the Hall of Fame. They're booing Dak Prescott for winning Man of the Year. Uh, my question to you is, were, in your career, were Philly fans, uh, were they the nastiest to visiting players? And if not, who was? <laughs> I don't, you know what? Um, yeah, when they were in the spectrum, it was like we played in the spectrum in the beginning of my career, and that was a different environment than the new, uh, I don't even know what the new stadium's called now. They've well, changed it a couple Wells times. Wells Fargo, right? Yeah, because it was the first union, which was a great. That's a great uh, initial for a stadium. But it did kind of fit along with the Philly theme, Shane. That almost got over my head, and I caught it right before it got past me. (laughs) 
<laughs> but that was a great, um, you know, example of the Philly. The, you you might have heard that a few times when you walked into that stadium. But you know who had some fans that were ruthless? Well, they had like one or two fans, and that's all it takes was uh, in L.A. They had a guy that sat behind the bench in L.A. that was nonstop and actually hilarious and ruthless and so fun to listen to and not fun when he was on you but it was fun to listen to when he was going after really? other guys so he's one yeah. of those guys that like kept it above board but probably researched your whole career and your background yep. so he had material and and would have like personal like he would go after your trainers he'd go after everybody and the, uh, not in a way that was like well there no it was it was not above board all the time okay. but there was sometimes it, it was still it was still really funny like he'd still be uh, he'd go after Tony Silva or one trainer all the time and it was so funny and he would be laughing and when he did that he was always above board with those ones I got Donor you. there was a time when I thought the Coyotes were piecing together a super team when they brought in Brett Hull and they brought in Mike Ricci and I'm like Oh, I love this team. The lockout came and and Brett gained about. Well, we won't go there. <laughs> it, 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 the super the super team never really happened for the Coyotes. What do you think of Kevin Durant coming to the Valley? Oh my goodness! Uh, you know what? I am. I love Mikael Bridges and Cam Johnson, and so that's always tough. And in order to get someone great, you have to give up some really good pieces. But how cool is that? I mean, uh, he's got to be in the top. 10 players to play in the game and to whenever you can add somebody like that that has a pedigree that he has and and then you, you still have like you have the ability to spread the floor the way that they can and I'm just excited I'm really excited um, my son and I went to a few of the games last year in the playoffs and where it was so fun and um, hopefully this year we'll get a chance to do it again and have them go on a long run and It'd be nice for them to do something special. Yeah. I, I got to ask you before we leave, too, and we're talking to Shane Doan, Coyote's Chief Hockey Development Officer here on Arizona Sports. Uh, there was so much reaction to the late penalty call in the Super Bowl that benefited the Chiefs, went against the Eagles. I think it was a penalty. Um, it, it's unfortunate that it had to end that way, especially the way the game was officiated. But there's so much vitriol and so many strong opinions on it. What was yours, Shane? Um... I was cheering. I, I, I'm a Patrick Mahomes fan, so I was kind of cheering for them. But it, it, I, I heard somebody yesterday explain it like it's like getting a, a, a speeding ticket going 65 over a 60. Like it's against the rules, but it's not like against the rules. And yeah. I, I thought that was a pretty good explanation. And that was me who said it on this show. That's I was waiting for you to jump in. I was waiting for you to jump in, Jared, but I wasn't I was gonna just open the door for you. But um at the same time I don't I it's a penalty, so it's a penalty. <laughs> if I was only cheering for the other team I would have been losing my mind. So. <laughs> I think it was a joke, but whatever. Do you know Donor they had sixty three pass attempts prior to that, not one single PI or defensive holding was called. It was a clean game. Well, <laughs> yeah, I did. I did. I did see that. I did notice all that and see all that. Did you ever hey, have like an that's official? That's a tough one. Yeah, you ever have an official in hockey where you're like, they're just eager to call a five minute penalty on somebody. And you're like, dude, get the whistle out of your mouth. Quit looking yeah. for something to call. Oh, it gets me. It gets me so fired up sometimes when it's like the refs want to be part of the game. Yes. And, 
that's that's and yet their job is so difficult and i never ever want to be like i appreciate the good ones so much and i think that's the thing that you recognize that when they're good you don't really notice them and when they're not then you seem to want to talk about them all the time that is true and that's hard job to to be part of donor always good to talk to you enjoy the rest of your week and we will talk to you next tuesday all right. Sounds good, guys. Thanks. Shane, Donor. Shane Doan, Coyotes Chief Hockey Development Officer, our guest here on the Arizona Sports Line. We'll continue with the guests next. Big weekend sweep in the Bay Area for the Arizona wow. State Sun Devils. We'll talk to their head coach, Bobby Hurley. Straight ahead, it's Bickley and Murata mornings here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. This is the Sun Devil Fast Break with ASU men's head basketball coach Bobby Hurley. The Sun Devil Fast Break is presented by Arizona Ford Dealers. Yeah, Sun Devils responded. They got a big road sweep in the Bay Area over Stanford and Cal. And uh, here to talk about it with us, the head coach of the Arizona State Sun Devils, Bobby Hurley, who joins us on the Arizona Sports Line. Bobby, good morning. How are you? Good. Good morning, guys. Uh, it was obviously what you were looking for. It wasn't the easiest weekend to get a sweep. You get the eight-point win over Stanford and then got to go overtime against Cal. But I guess just your general thoughts on, on how your team, uh, even shorthanded, responded the way they did on the road. Well, I mean, I think uh, to a degree, you know, our backs were against the wall last week just to, you know, make sure we, we don't lose connection with the, uh, you know, the top part of our league and make sure that we're still in play for, for a top four seed, which is a huge advantage going to Pac-12 tournament. So uh, definitely uh, conveyed that message to the guys. It was a must-win two games week uh, on a must-win game. And uh, so, uh, you know, I thought we played uh, reasonably well versus Stanford, you know, got behind early in the second half but the guy showed you know a lot of resiliency uh you know playing against one of the tallest teams in the country and a very good rebounding team you know without our best interior scorer and rebounder uh in warren washington now our guy the esteemed doug tamro informed us bobby that ike diagu eddie house jahi carson james harden never had two road sweeps in their career at asu which kind of underscores how rare and difficult it is that's pretty good company you're keeping there well, I mean, it was something that we uh, we focused on in, uh, in the preseason. We you know we had scrimmages on the road to prepare for that because we knew we were going to play three true non-conference road games and we were going to play uh, you know several uh, neutral site games. So uh, it was a priority to get off to a really good start and and you know have some signature wins in the non-conference. And I think that prepared us and. Uh, Obviously, to get five wins on the road in uh, in league play is is pretty special, and we've got a few more opportunities out there. Bobby Hurley, the head coach of the Arizona State Sun Devils, our guest here on uh, Bickley and Murata Mornings. You you mentioned not having Warren Washington, and I know that was unfortunate. So you rely on other bigs, and and Duke Brennan and uh, Enoch got some time, and and, uh, also Alonzo Gaffney, especially in the Cal game, what Alonzo was able to do on the boards with 13 rebounds. Can you just talk more about their performance in in Warren's absence? Bobby? I, I thought it was great. You know, uh, Duke had two big charges in the Stanford game, and that was something that we talked about with our front court. We, you know, Warren is our best shot blocker, and, and we still are able to block some shots, but wanted to focus on position defense and, and giving your body up. And, and Duke did that at two uh, critical moments, and he really battled uh, under the basket. And, uh, and then we we had decided to, to start Duke in the second game because I thought it was a better matchup with the Cal big man Thiesman, and 
I didn't want you know Gaffney getting some early foul trouble. So uh, and Duke responded for a freshman. He had nine points, seven rebounds, and uh, and got us off to a good start. He played really well early in that game, and then Gaffney that was the best game he's played all season. Just uh, you know thirteen rebounds, his activity, his defense. So you know he brought a lot to the table. I was excited to see him play that way. Now one of the stats from Saturday that jumped off the page were the eighteen of twenty twenty two free throws. Um, that's got to be real important on the road, particularly in games where you might not have the flow offensively to kind of not only get the the cheap points, but to get a rhythm. Yeah, we wanted to attack the paint, you know, with Cal and not, and not settle. And I thought, you know, we, our penetrating ability was pretty good from from our guards. Uh, you know, Frankie Collins is very aggressive. Uh, you know, ten points, ten rebounds, and you know, we didn't convert a lot of our layups. That was, I think, the one negative in that game. We got to do a better job of finishing around the basket, but uh, we're able to to you know to generate some fouls, uh, you know, and, and get to the free throw line early in the second half. I thought that was uh, that was important. Yeah, um, there was a couple. It's amazing to see you know a, a team shoot thirty three percent for a game, Bobby, but you know eighty three percent in overtime, and the amount of big shots that were made down the stretch. A couple by Des Cambridge, DJ Horn had the big jumper to put you back up three in the final minute, but Des set that play up with an unbelievable offensive rebound and then saving it from going out of bounds. Uh, it just seems like you got a bunch of guards uh, right now that even if they're struggling, when the game is on the line, they still have the confidence to, to make big plays when they need to. Yeah, that was huge from Dez. Big time hustle play, as you touched on. Uh, I thought like another another uh, important thing in that game was you know they were hitting hit some shots yeah. late in that regulation, and we had an answer for them. And, and it shows just the heart that our our team has, uh, our ability to respond. These the crowd really got into it for the first time. You know, on Saturday when they were hitting those threes late in the game, I think you know Devin Cambridge had a nice lob dunk, and DJ hit a three on the left wing, and. and and then once we got to overtime, you know, we talked in the huddle about, you know, we were 0-2 in overtimes this year, so got to make sure we take care of business and, and, and knock this one out. Uh, and we also, we won with our black uniforms, which uh, the only other time we wore those this year was at San Francisco wow. or Stanford. So oh, wow. Wow. that was another one we had to take care of. That's good. <laughs> That's good. Wipe the away demons that are memory. exercised. I yeah, get it. Wipe away that memory, no <laughs> doubt. All right, we all know how difficult the schedule is on the way out the door, uh, regular season wide with, with your three last road trips how how important does that make these upcoming couple of games at home I think it's just uh, important to build on what we what we're doing again. I think uh, this time of year you want to be finding another gear and you know figuring out obviously how to win. I think uh, you know Saturday's game was a great survive and advance game. We showed desperation and urgency. We had 20 offensive rebounds uh, despite not shooting great. Um, but you know you got to be able to find ways to win, and uh, you know we haven't proven that that we could win at, at the rate that that we should at home. You know based on you know, just how we've done on neutral sites and on the road, so we got to prove to ourselves this week that we could step up against two very good opponents, and, and Colorado's a really good team that has really good wins this year. When they're when they're playing well, they're a really difficult team to deal with, uh, with K.J. Simpson and Tristan DeSilva, two of the top scorers in the Pac-12, and then Utah is, is ahead of us currently in the standings and, uh, and is having a very good season as well. Do you expect to have Warren Washington back this weekend, Bobby? <laughs> Uh, Warren was was in was in practice yesterday, and uh, 
you know, he's, he's still gradually building himself up, and we're optimistic that he'll be able to play on Thursday. Very good. Bobby, uh, congratulations on the road sweep. Hopefully you can make it a home sweep this weekend against Colorado and Utah, and we'll talk to you next week. Appreciate it, guys. Thank you. Thank you, Bobby Hurley, the head coach of the Arizona State Sun Devils. Joins us every Tuesday. Uh, it, yeah, it, it, it was hard fought, but man, they got two wins in the Bay. And you know, to, to piggyback on your point, too, Bick, yeah. what, what Tamaro sent over. Uh huh. Doug said in, in the message, he's been traveling with ASU basketball for 29 years and never experienced two road sweeps in the same year How in about all that, of his right? time. The last time it happened was the 80 81 team. You remember that team, you remember right? That team, don't you? Paul Lister, Byron Scott, Fat Lever, Paul Williams, Johnny Nash. <laughs> I got nothing. Those were like the first ASU basketball teams I fell in love with. Who who was the head coach back then? Ned Wolf. Ned Wolf. Yeah, yeah. They named the court after him. That's right. Uh, thanks again to Bobby Hurley for joining us. Coming up next, we hit the nine o'clock hour. Jarrett will take us through some oh, social no. studies. More uh, Jarrett? More Jarrett. More Jarrett. More everything. Come on, it's Bickley and Murata mornings here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader.